You're listening to High Culture with Low Friends, the pop culture odyssey on Spotify. Culture with low friends, uh, the podcast about all things pop culture. I am your host, Wolf Holloman, and uh, with me here today, my co-host, uh, the one and only, thank God, Parker Black. That's true. How you doing, Parker? Doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I'm pretty good. I, so far, we've been actually hanging out today, and uh, because of the pandemic, we haven't uh, uh, been able to hang out a long time, so it's kind of good to be able to socialize again. There's definitely something to say about the, uh, the, the lack of socialization, for sure. This is true. Very true. So, But uh, we're actually, our first episode uh, here, uh, High Culture with Low Friends, and we're, we're not going to start with the kind of pop culture that you might expect. Um, no uh, Star Wars redux. Um no uh, pop music uh, review. We're actually going to go a different uh, direction. Uh, we're going to talk about food. Um, and, and, and some may say, well, is that, is that really pop culture? Well, I think it kind of is when you consider, um, you know, what's, <laughs> what's in our daily lives. Well, and look at all those food trends that came out during the pandemic. You know, yeah. sourdough bread and that Dalgona <laughs> coffee got super powerful. The, the, wait a minute, the what coffee? It's called Dalgona, I believe. Um, it's Korean, I'm not, so I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Right. But it uh, was some coffee that was made with instant coffee and milk, maybe? I don't know. I didn't get into it. I, I don't do social media, so, you know, that whole thing went over my head. I paid attention to it maybe once and then went <laughs> and moved on. <laughs> I, I, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I missed that show you a little bit on it later um but it was very yeah. popular with a bunch of stuff uh, some way to make coffee um i think it had to do with it reminded me of the look of um i can't even remember the name of it, but like a honeycomb cake it's oh, okay. made with honey yeah, and yeah. it's got that color and stuff it's kind of had that same sort of color to it um so well I, I, to be honest as a is a fairly addicted coffee drinker who's got to ha- have that every morning like <laughs> that has to happen. I'm with you. I, I definitely want to check that out. See what yeah. that's about. So, um, but we're going to talk about some. I, I think uh, a, a lot of different things here with regards to food and and how it's uh, a part of popular culture, part of cultural identity, and and that sort of thing. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this for uh, our first episode is because uh, Parker here. Uh, is actually a, uh, I guess, certified, graduated, uh, degreed I am chef. A, I have a bachelor's degree, or wait, no. I have an associate's degree associate. in culinary arts from Sullivan University. Reaching there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a while. Um, I was at one point considered a certified culinarian, but I'm pretty sure I have not done anything to that in point, so it's probably long since evaporated so you gotta keep that shit up if you want i think so yeah i don't i don't remember and i you know and all and all honestly i, I don't really care <laughs> so but you now we're 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 broadcasting here in uh, uh 
Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm not a native, but I've been here for 30 years. Uh, Parker, you're a native, correct? I'm not. You're I'm not actually a from Lexington, Kentucky, but I've been here for, no, 30, no, but, uh, uh, for 30 years. Yeah, You're a native of Kentucky. I'm native of Kentucky, yes. You are a Kentuckian. I, I mean, I am Kentuckian in name only because I've been here for half my life now. But so you, you did go to the Sullivan Culinary yes. School, right? Yeah, which Sullivan is... Culinary School, which is here um, in Louisville, Kentucky, on Barstown Road. Um, they have an accredited um, culinary program. Well, they're kind of a big deal. Yeah, now they're no, they're mostly known, um, I think, around town these days for IT and other related things. Um, yeah, they're... they have some of those like accelerated business programs and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, right? and they've got a pharmacy program, a pharmacy tech program oh, wow. now, I think, too. Because um, I know they absorbed two other uh technical schools in town gotcha i think Louisville tech and itt tech i could be wrong it's been a long time since i've been right to that. well we'll have to check that out but uh i still think they have the culinary program i'm pretty sure they closed winston's which was an on-site restaurant that most of the culinary students went to right for their practical and i i don't know if juleps which was an on-site catering program um is still open i actually have no idea. I, I just remember a very long time ago um you know i'm 55 now just turned 55 and in my early thirties. Um, I thought about, um, you know, having already gotten a bachelor's and a master's degree in one thing, I thought about going to culinary school, um, because I love food. I love to cook. And, um, and I, at that time, which and this is like, uh, mid to late nineties, um, that there was like a, a waiting, there was a huge waiting list to get in to Sullivan, culinary school because it was so uh such a big thing and so popular so but now and and then now when you came out of there you spent what like five years in the restaurant business or the culinary business industry give or take i uh, it's another one of those things i didn't really pay attention to how long that that i was in there um i only worked in Hmm. three places maybe um Maybe more, maybe less. I don't remember. You know, it's been, I've slept since, since. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I did try to make my hand in the restaurant industry. Um, I don't regret my time there, but I'm glad I found something else. So, you know, the big question, and I've asked you about this before, and I, I think a lot of people would like to know this because, you know, if you're, if you're one of those people where you're like really creative with food and you're like, oh man, I, I wish I could do this for a living. I wish I could, you know, uh, tip people's taste buds and make money doing it. Uh, why did you uh, get out of the, the culinary industry? What was it that, you know, that drove you out? What, what was your decision-making process? You know, what, what happened there? It was a mixture of a couple things. Um, one of them was money. Um, it didn't pay great. It paid okay for the time period. Um, the other one was future. Uh, I worked with a woman who was, oh, I think she was in her mid fifties. She at one point in time had some money and made decent money, but she had been in the, in the industry for most of her life and really didn't have a lot to show for it. No retirement, no, anything. Oh, you, now, some of that may be on, on her. I'm not going to, you know, right. So. But seeing somebody else, seeing what that, what they were left with. Yeah, and as a fairly new, I wasn't married yet at the time, or maybe I was. Anyway, 
Um, as a fairly new individual into the industry, it did not, especially with a new relationship and the possibility of a child coming along, it didn't it didn't mesh with the future that I saw for right, myself. Right. I, I didn't think it was gonna, it was really going to work out. Now, my, my, my wife, who unfortunately is an ex-wife now, uh, worked for the government, so insurance wasn't so much of an issue. Right. But it was sort of everything else. And I had some <laughs> friends in the business who were married and their time and working in the industry sort of ruined their marriage and other stuff. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah I, I had a couple of people, you oh, know, that wow. they're gone, you know, a long period of the day and never saw their family and because yeah, you got it i mean if, if you're i mean it's one thing if you own a restaurant but if you're running a restaurant or you're one of the crew that's that's making sure that that restaurant stays open mm -hmm. that you put in i mean if you're obviously wait staff it's a little different you're talking about right. timers that are getting paid crap yeah by the way else. tip your waiters please please tip your servers um and but when you're behind the scenes, when you're cooking, you're you're putting in some long hours. Sometimes. You can, yeah. I mean, because a lot of times, especially if you closed at the restaurant, you may be stuck there for another few hours, depending on how much you have to accomplish before you're even allowed to leave. So, I mean, I definitely pulled some two hours, some you know, some two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning shifts when we closed at midnight. Right. Just getting everything put back together. Jeez. Well, and, and, you know, again, we, we talked about this before uh, a long time ago, because I mean, that's the thing that uh, uh, Parker and I uh, met as co-workers uh, at one point in, in a uh, uh, technical industry. And, uh, and then we kind of, we, we sort of bonded as friends over food because of this. Uh, at the time uh, that, that, that we met, I was doing a cooking show on YouTube um that i haven't done in like seven years yeah yeah i did like 14 episodes and uh, and then i went to the philippines got married and when i came back i didn't have time for it anymore and um but you know we talked about the creative side because you know for me a big part of um why you know uh, why food culture is uh so huge in my mind and in my life it's not just because i love to eat and if, you saw me you know that's true uh but I, I like the creative side of it the the experimenting the going hmm what happens when you put this flavor with that flavor and you know i think a lot of people get this idea that you go to culinary school you become a you know a, they teach you how to be a three-star chef and then you get a gig at a restaurant and then you create these awesome dishes that people love and they herald you uh, but that's that's not the way it works you're you're cooking other people's food yeah, and I, I mean, mean other other not meaning customers, but the food that yeah, some chain has chose to put yeah, on their When menu. you work in a restaurant, you cook that restaurant's food. Now, if you work in a, some local, you know, the smaller local restaurants that may do specials and stuff, you may be able to have some input into that. Um, but at some place that's a chain, not so much. You don't get that. Now, um, as as we've talked in the past before, you don't need to go to culinary school to do this. Um, <laughs> Guy Perry, did he go? To... He did. Oh, yeah. he did go. Okay. He did, yeah. He uh, he attended um, um, Las Vegas. I don't remember what they call it now, but he attended Las Vegas Uni Uni University, um, the culinary school there. Okay. Gotcha. He's a graduate of, of their particular program. But a lot of people that I worked with, you know, they never worked. They never went to school in, in, in it. They, they worked their way up from dishwasher all the way right. up to executive chef. And, that, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, 
you get more experience that way because, I mean, I, I had the knowledge but not the experience from going to school. Right. So, like, coming out of school, I could tell you, oh, you know, this would be great with this, this would be great with this, this would be great with this because I was told that it was. Right. Um, but as since I had never made it, that changed things. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's there are a lot of executive chefs out there that own restaurants and, and you know, have their own culinary empire that never did go to culinary school. Right. And, you know, and these, <laughs> there's such fascination with, uh, you know, celebrity chefs. There's all yeah. these, te- there's so many shows uh, where people are competing with their dishes, mm-hmm. with food, you know, and, and granted, I'll put my hand up. I, I'm addicted. To, I watch those shows. I get enjoyment out of those shows. Yeah. But, you know, even some of that, it's like, these people that that you, that's you got to be lucky there's a certain amount of i mean i'm not saying they're not skilled but there's a certain amount of luck in being able to get to that position where you can have an impact on the entire industry yeah like some of these people do yeah i mean there's there there is definitely a right place at the right time right. or right email or right phone call at the right time uh, knowing people always of course will get you ahead and of course the other thing is you got to have that sort of personality that does well as a, as a celebrity chef. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And of I, course, I definitely didn't have. So, <laughs> and, Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these, again, if you look at some of these guys on TV, you, yeah, you see that the sub-personalities just, just don't mesh with the environment, mesh with the people. You know, it's, uh, there. there's certainly a, a, something to be said for that aspect of it, yeah. Well, and... and those shows were what originally led me to want to go to culinary school. I was a college dropout. Uh, I attended a semester and a half at University of Louisville here. And, um, you know, just as a fresh graduate from high school, college wasn't for me. Right. I, I needed a break. So, you know, I, I quit for a little while and I worked full, full, full time uh, in the retail in- environment. And then one day watching Food Network, I went, I think I want to do that. Yeah. So I looked into what it required and I went to culinary school. Do you, do you still carry your, I know there for a while, um, like I said, it's, it's you know been a couple of years since we, we hung out a lot. We used to game together as well. That was an, another area where we, uh, we bonded uh, Parker and I and uh, a couple of other friends that I've lost touch with over the past couple of years. Uh, we used to gather together on a weekly basis to uh, do um, uh, role-playing gaming uh, which that definitely needs to be an episode as yep. well. well. That we'll have to get uh, one of those guys involved uh, for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the cookouts, that was a big part yeah. of uh, our gaming was the, the cookouts, the, the food. But, uh, um, you know, when I was doing the, the cooking show then, um, you know, that was a, a lot of the, the, the back and forth was this, uh, the, the creative stuff. The like, mm-hmm. you know, what happens when you do this? Uh, I know uh, you used to carry that that black book around with you that had like recipe, you know, yeah. like the uh, you I know had a little moleskin pocketbook, uh, <laughs> pocket notebook that had uh, a bunch of recipes that I had acquired from places I had been or things that I liked. Uh, now I uh, have most of them digitally. Oh, so you you don't have the black book anymore? I still have it, but I no longer carry it. Oh man. That's that's a big change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It got to the point where it was getting a little damaged, and you know, and I um, 
moved everything to a digital format and uh you know now wherever i got my phone i got all my i got all my recipes right that's good <laughs> i still remember and and by the way i need to get this again because i've forgotten the buffalo sauce mm. i need to get the buffalo sauce recipe for it again. all right i can do that we, that's easy. you know whew, that's good that's good stuff that's what we like to do so uh well there you have it. we I used to always uh, introduce him Chef Parker Black when he was on my uh, cooking show. And uh, but uh, so once a chef and now uh, now in the technology, still in the technology yeah. industry, we technology both are. Um, everybody is. I mean, I've, I've water, often yeah. said you can take a dime and throw it and you'll hit somebody that's in IT because IT means a whole lot of things now. Yeah, it does. So. Uh, but anyway, so you've got you've got a former chef here and a, and a guy that had a cooking show. So. I feel like we got enough qualifications to at least talk about some food stuff today. So, well, and you know, we eat, so we do. And I know what I like, uh, pretty much everything. Yeah. There's very little that I will not eat and, or try at least twice. I have like a, a really short list of things I won't eat. It's a short list. Uh, well, actually that's changed now that now that I should say, I have a short list of what I don't like to eat. Because there's a lot of stuff that I don't eat now since I'm on the 100% plant-based diet. Well, I I guess it's more of a 90% because I am eating shrimp and fish. Yeah, uh, I got to have my shrimp and fish. So, But we're going to talk some more about food. We're going to talk about favorite foods. We're going to talk about uh, uh, cultural impact of food. And uh, we're going to do that here in just a moment. <music> So we're, we're talking about uh, food as popular culture here on uh, High Culture with Low Friends, uh, the podcast of pop culture. And um, so we're going to start off this next segment uh, by talking about favorite foods. So, Parker, what are your three favorite foods and why? My three favorite foods are old foods. Rice, cheese, and bread. Did you say old? Old. They've been around for a long time. People eat rice, cheese, and bread for a long time. Starch and protein. Yep. Car carbs and energy. Carbs, energy, protein. It's all right there. Car so you'll know better than me. You know, I mean, I've done a lot of research because of my, you know, yeah. my own sort of medical issues, conditions, and so on. But so. Uh, you know, carbs, we take the carbs, we break them down into sugars in the body. The sugars give us energy. Uh, uh, if we're lucky, it uses it right away, but often it stores it as fat, uh, unfortunately. Uh, protein, again, got to have protein for energy. That's uh, protein's muscle builder. It's, of course, for us fellows over 50, it's real important to keep our protein levels up so we can keep our testosterone levels up. Um, so, but, <laughs> so, what? Why those three? Uh, rice, because, I mean, rice, one, it, I really just like the taste of white rice. But just like with the other two, rice is extraordinarily versatile. I mean, how many rice dishes can you oh, yeah. think of other than just steamed rice and fried rice? Risotto, rice cakes, so, I mean, sushi, which is white rice, but it's, it's you know, a, a use of rice. So to me, it's just a, it's a versatility, and it's one of the most if not the most eaten food on the entire planet. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so 
I'm a huge fan of rice. I get you on cheese, though. Yeah, cheese is... Oh. I can eat my weight in cheese. Now, I, I found that, that as I've been exploring um, ways to eat to alleviate my fibromyalgia, the cheese is really, soft cheese is really important. And so it's like one of those things recommended where I eat soft cheese at least a couple times a week. So I do tend to like, you know, feta, um, uh, you know, I, I like to jump into Whole Foods every now and then, go through the cheese section, find some of the, you know, some of the soft stuff. The, yeah. I've even come to like brie better. I, I like brie. You know, I, it, it, I, like, I like brie a lot. Brie's, brie's great. On toast, on bread, yeah, just by itself. Well, and, and again, like you said, cheese is versatile. Yeah, cheese. I mean, look how many types. I mean, just I mean, you right there mentioned feta and brie, two 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 types of completely different types of cheese. Um, <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks to the cheese shop sketch on Monty Python. Now, do you have any stilton? Oh, <laughs> uh, now that I like stilton. That's a good cheese. No, no, no stilton. Uh, Alisa <laughs> There, yeah, there are. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, I mean, you can have two cheeses that, like, really pretty much taste alike or, or taste similar. They're similar, yeah. But they're called different things because one's made in France and one's made in England or Italy. Yeah, because yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, you've got, there's a lot, there are a lot of cheeses that are that way. Um, I mean, certain cheeses you can only call, as, call them brie because they're made in a certain region or right. things, like, things like that. But yeah, and then you know, fresh cheese, which is your, which is your feta cheese. Yeah. Then you get a soft cheese like brie, and then there's a semi-soft cheese, and then you get hard cheeses like Parmesan. And look, and the only reason why we're going, I'm I'm going on this cheese run here with you is because one of my three uh, uh, favorite is cheese as well. I, it's one of those things I, I I can't give up on a plant-based diet. I, I would say my plant-based diet is more like an 85% because I got to have the cheese. cheese yeah. And I, you know, again, I, I flash back to Uncle Buck. Like, oh, I got to have my, I'm like a little rat when it comes to cheese. I just got to, you know, I'm daily I eat some kind of cheese, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, when it comes to the cheeses, I, I do now prefer the, the soft cheeses. And I, I really like creamy but i'm also a big fan of i don't know what the uh, roquefort blue cheese, blue cheese yeah. there's that um what do you call it the 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 bite that it provides yeah, yeah yeah well it's like it's not umami no i wouldn't it's, call it that uh, yeah it, it's almost like i mean yeah but is it but it's not savory either because no. i mean you've got the five you've got the five different Savory, salty, sweet, umami, uh, right? And like tart, tart, yeah. But I, I, I like the bite of yeah. ash and yeah. the cheese. There is a cheese you might like. Uh, I do not remember the name of the company. It's something Cellars, and the cheese is Harvison. Um, it's kind of pricey, uh, which a lot of artisanal cheeses are right. kind of pricey. Yeah. It's a soft cheese, kind of like brie. Uh, it's a, almost a liquid at room at room temp. Uh, which, by the way, if you don't eat your cheese at room temp, you're eating your cheese wrong. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, some of those high those high end cheeses or even some great cheeses is best when you're going to eat them, especially brie. Let it sit at room temp. Yeah. Um, before you eat it, because it's because it's going to taste different cold than it is at room temp. Yeah. Now, now I'm not a fan when the cheese gets mucusy. Then <laughs> uh, you may or may not like this cheese, but Harvison is wrapped in a birch bark. 
Oh wow! And wrapped in ash. Oh okay. So Actually, ash. You had so there's, you had there's ash. an ashy flavor to it, yeah. And uh, I, um, it's a it's a good cheese. I, I enjoy it. Okay, so I, I know there's a lot of people. When I ask this question, people are going, I'm going to be, well, why would you ask that question? Okay, so why bread? <laughs> <laughs> bread because I mean carbs are delicious. Um, <laughs> bread is delicious. Bread is just like cheese and rice. There are so many variations of bread sourdough, rye bread, white bread, wheat bread, semolina bread. I mean, you can make bread out of any type of flour you can find. Oh. And, and then when you start getting into, like, international bread. Right. We were talking earlier, uh, you know, before we uh, had dinner together about non-bread. Love, love non-bread. And then there's that, that flatbread that's very similar to non that you get in some of the uh, – uh, African countries. I don't, yeah. I don't. I can't remember what it's called. Um, God, I love that. Depending stuff. on where you go, uh, I mean, you can find lavash, which is a very similar mm. unleavened flatbread. Pita bread in the Middle East, uh, in the Levant region. Um, Ethiopia has their fermented um, injera bread made from teff flour. Uh, I mean, you find flatbreads, big breads, artisanal breads, all kinds of breads all over the world. Right. Bread is is great. Yeah. And, and again, like, uh, all over the world, meaning that bread has been influenced by a lot of different cultures. Yeah. It become, you know, bread is one of those things that is a very cultural thing. Yeah, I mean. When you, when you break it down. Yeah, and, you found, and they found bread as far back as, uh, um, I mean, there's 3,000-year-old Egyptian bread. They found bread in Pompeii. I mean, flax, flax bread. Flax bread, barley I, bread. I've seen, you know, of course, with the big trend, the, the paleo trend there for a while, yeah, you still see trend. some of the um, the breads that are, you know, flaxseed. Yeah. And uh, there's, a, there's another one. Flax, quinoa. Yeah, um, quinoa. And I'm a big fan of quinoa. Uh, and, of course, poppy seed bread. There's, yeah, those, yeah. there's the seven-grain breads with, like, amaranth and oh, some of those. amaranth. I'm telling you. I... I didn't really know. I, for the longest time, I thought Amaranth was just a song by Nightwish. <laughs> and the, the, um, I started eating Amaranth foods, foods with Amaranth in it um, a few years ago when I was first started on my, my diet journey, my dietary journey, to, to, um, to eat what was going to provide me um, resolution with, with whatever issues I had. And um, Amaranth is one of those things when I discovered that, like everything that where amaranth is like a key part of oh my god it's delicious yeah absolutely delicious yeah. so um it's just, just uh, yeah right yeah well like i said i like i like cheese that's one of my three uh my number one though my absolute number one shrimp and i i'm like and i and again i'm going to a lot of pop culture references as we talk about this and then you start to see how food kind of gets into in there, yeah. our pop culture there's that whole scene from Forrest Gump. Yeah, I was just thinking you know, that. fried shrimp, uh, shrimp cocktail, shrimp this, shrimp that, and that's me. I, I will, I will eat shrimp just about any way that, that you can get it, uh, that you can make it, and uh, I love it. I love the taste of it. I love the texture, the chewiness of it. Um, I love the fact that there's so many different things. The versatility of it. Yeah. Um, and I know there's some people out there like shellfish. They don't like. I. It, I'm surprised I've even met people who don't like lobster. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I know people who don't like cheese. What? Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> I know cheese. people who don't like cheese. I don't. My dog likes cheese. <laughs> no, 
She's lactose intolerant, but she'll eat it. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. I know people who are lactose intolerant, which is, oh, but you know, it's that's just, the whole, yeah, that's a different thing. And that's a whole different issue. I know people who are allergic to shrimp. So, I mean, if you're allergic to shrimp or you, you're lactose intolerant, yeah. you know, that's 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 fine if you don't want to eat shrimp because of that. But I, you know, try But I have, all, I have always said, God forbid I should ever become allergic to shrimp because mm. I, I, I couldn't live. <laughs> yeah, see, shrimp to me is one of those things I could take it or leave it. Yeah, I, I, I like shrimp, but if I don't eat it, I'll be there, There's always a bag of frozen shrimp in my freezer. I prefer to buy it cooked so I can thaw it out in hot water yep. and just straight up eat it. So uh, my, my third favorite food is a cultural food. And there may be some people who've never heard of this. It's called a scotch egg. And a scotch egg is one of the most be beautiful creations in the world ever. In in my in my opinion, Fair this enough. is my honest opinion. As as someone who is eighty seven percent Scotch Irish, it sings <laughs> the Scotch egg sings to my Celtic heart. <laughs> uh, so let me describe it for those who don't who've never heard of it. A scotch egg is when you take a hard boiled egg, right, and you wrap it. In sausage. <laughs> it can be spicy if you want, but sausage. And then you take that sausage wrapped hard boiled egg and you dip it in a nice thick batter and then you deep fry it. <laughs> well, you deep fry anything, it's gonna be good. <laughs> I know. And it's so wrong on so many levels, it's 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 not healthy at all. But oh my god, the taste of it, it's all it, it's one of my um you know, yearly pilgrimages is to the Irish Rover in Little Kentucky on Frankfurt Road, by the way, um, to get Scotch eggs. Uh, a lot of times I do it on my birthday because I, I feel like I deserve Scotch eggs on my birthday. And um, and at best, in my opinion, with a little bit of slice that baby in half, put a little bit of Coleman's mustard on there. Mustard oh my the goodness! It just like I said, it. Uh, it sings to my Celtic heart when I can uh, get my hands on a couple of Scotch eggs. So, uh, but now, now here's something I'm curious about. Um, you know, so we've talked again. This is uh, you know uh, a topic that we've talked about before when it comes to you know, exploring food, and that's the, the texture issue. Because I know there are people that texture is huge yep. as far as determining whether or not they're going to like something, eat something, continue. To eat something. I know, you know, even for my wife, there's there are certain textures. She's like, nope, I don't touch it. Well, it's the same. My ex-wife's the same. Now, are you a texture person? Uh, for the most part, no. I mean, there are some textures that I'm somewhat put off. For example, overcooked shrimp, where it gets that mushy sort of, mm -hmm. I don't like it. Um, but, I mean, if it's all I got, I'll probably eat it. Right. But, I mean, there hasn't been anything yet that I've eaten and went, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Now, as far as texture goes. Flavor. Uh, I, I will say for me, if I'm, I'm kind of, I can be critical of density in the texture. Like, if it's super grainy, then I'm, yeah, it's I mean, harder for me to get into. Not that I won't. I mean, I've had like some tabbouleh salad and um, some, some, some quinoa salad that are super grainy that were delicious the taste yeah. overrode any consideration on the texture yeah. but I, I find that for me the density really plays into the texture and i think for that it really depends on the dish in question because i mean something shouldn't be grainy 
So if it's grainy, that usually to me means something was not right. I mean, if it still tastes good, I'm still going to eat it. But, you know, you eat hummus and it's real grainy. You're like, yeah, you didn't process this enough. No tahini. Yeah. No amount of tahini in the world is going to get rid of those flakes. Now, I will say, as far as grainy goes, grainy apples are by far the that will get bitten into it in the trash. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I yeah. get that. Yeah. Pithy. Pithy, mealy, yeah, all that. Now, if I bite into an apple and it's mealy, it's going in the trash. I'm not going to touch that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that. So, um, anyway, so the favorite foods, and we've already alluded to, I think I, I think we've got a good segue just from what we talked about already to our next segment, which, you know, it's going to be about how how food impacts culture in, in society. How culture uh, impacts food. And yeah, vice versa. Exactly. The two the two are symbiotic. Yeah, I'll give you that. We can we can go with that. So we'll uh, discuss more of that shortly uh, here on uh, High Culture with Low Friends. <laughs> listening to High Culture with Low Friends. Um, we're going to start this uh, third segment uh, talking about the uh, impact of food on culture and the impact of culture on food. Uh, a couple of quick notes, though. Uh, this is our first episode, obviously. Uh, if you're listening, we thank you for uh, joining us and listening, um, you know, uh, being a part of the conversation, sort of. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hopefully in the future, you can um, actively be part of the conversation as, as we go forward. We're going to try to get up uh, our messaging, uh, have a uh, uh, currently working on a, a website, um, and we'll have uh, an email that uh, if you want to send us questions, you want to suggest topics um, specific or broad um, for the future. Uh, we do have a uh, plan on having um, lots of guests, um, but, you know, they're going to be guests that uh, that you don't know. They're going to be normal people. And that's one of the things that we really um, want to do um, with this podcast is talk to the people we know, friends, uh, colleagues, associates, uh, acquaintances that have um, different uh, expertise in different areas that are part of pop culture. Um, there's going to be lots of music episodes because uh, uh, I have a lot of friends that are musicians. I've dabbled it into myself. Um, so we, we want to go in a lot of directions, and hopefully we'll have a lot of resources for our listeners uh, to utilize along the way as well. So just stick with us, and uh, you'll see as uh, things evolve and develop, and, uh, as well as hopefully <laughs> our technique in putting together a podcast. We're, uh, we're doing some learning today, uh, but we're enjoying it. We're having fun. We hope you're having fun listening so now let's, uh, we're going to talk, we've already, I mean, we're talking about favorite foods. Mm-hmm. Certainly even more there comes out. You start seeing just how much, um, you know, culture, not just, you know, societal culture, historically culture, uh, but again, pop culture is impacted by food. And then vice versa, how those cultures um, impact food. You know, you, I, I've always said there's, 
you know, there, there are a couple things. And, and, and I say I've said it, but I mean, there are articles out there that talk about this, too. I'm sure if you Google this, oh, yeah. uh, talking about the fact that if you look at uh, the history of the world, which and that's my expertise, um, having my master's degree in history is being a historian. You look at the history of the world. There are certain foods that you see that reoccur in societies. They're all starchy foods, mm -hmm. obviously, because that, I mean, <laughs> that is a building block of civilization of starch. Yeah. And so, you know, for, um, you know, cabbage, how many different fermented cabbage or cabbage dishes are there? I mean, the Germans have Dark, uh, sauerkraut. sauerkraut, right? You've got, um, uh, in Korea, you've got South Korea, you've got kimchi, uh, kimchi which okay. I'm a big fan of. Um, we have coleslaw right coleslaw, here in yeah. the good old yeah. U.S. of A. You it's know, true fermented cabbage, but it is in fact a cabbage dish. Right. I mean, cabbage again is one of those things that it's a versatile um, rice. All over the Asian world, rice has been part of what helped those civilizations grow. Um, I was there. Are several civilizations that use rice as some sort of uh, monetary. Um, right function. I think the shoguns in Japan used it to pay their people. I think even in China, that was yeah, you know, some form of payment. Running the warlords, yeah. yeah. Um, and then potatoes. You know, we were talking about um, before about I was talking about my Scotch Irish, you know, <laughs> genetics and uh, potatoes. You know, when there was a potato famine, there's a reason why it was such a big deal because. Potatoes was life. Yeah. Potatoes. Everybody yeah, ate potatoes. It was yeah. life, you know, and you look at Scandinavian culture, potatoes, tubers, also a big thing. You know, um, Slavics with the vodka, the fermentation oh, yeah, of potatoes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Potatoes are pretty much uh, right. everywhere over the European area. Yeah. But you, you see these things time and again, and, and then and you see these fresh spins come, you know, on things. And, I see that more. It, I always thought I knew a lot about food and knew a lot about how to utilize food. But it always amazes me when I find new things, whether I'm watching YouTube yep. or flicking through TikTok or Reels or whatever it is, yep. to see some of the things that people do with food that comes from their cultural backgrounds um, or that's been passed along or where they're taking something that's new to them and then um, putting their cultural spin uh, on that food. Um, you know, some of my favorite restaurants, most of my favorite restaurants are, you know, have some sort of, you know, cultural uh, basis. Yeah, they're um, what most people would call like an ethnic restaurant. Right. You I know, think they're, that's they're, what they do. They're, they're not a, a traditional <laughs> American Applebee's style. You know, Asian, Southeast Asian, right, Middle Eastern. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I love ethnic food. Yeah, oh, it has flavor. It, I, it's been sad for me to see some of the smaller mom and pop that have gone out of business because of the pandemic. Yeah, it, was a, it was a massive tragedy. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier. My wife being Filipino, that Filipino food, you know, that's something. We were talking about this before that. Um, Philippines was occupied by Spain for 400 years. And so Spanish food culture made its way into Filipino cuisine. Yep. 
you um, one of the you know uh, one of my favorites is longanisa, which is a um, a savory sausage, but that comes directly. That's a, a huge influence from. I can't remember the name what they're called in Spain, but it, there's a there's a similar kind of sausage. It doesn't taste the same, but it, and it almost has kind of the same name. It's longanisa in in, in um, the Philippines, but it's it's also a, it's an L word. I can't. <laughs> Might have to look that up. Yeah, I know. I should. That's what we need. That's what we need uh, my wife in here for. She's, you know, she's our content advisor, but we we, we need her to be our uh, um, our internet internet uh, searcher. Yeah, our fact checker, because I you know we we may be wrong sometimes. <laughs> Us never. We are never wrong. <laughs> well, get her to check some of these things. You know, right? <laughs> Notes and stuff. Which, uh, speaking of being wrong, for those who are interested, Dalgona coffee is actually a mixture of equal parts instant coffee, sugar, and hot water that is then whipped into a frothy whipness, and it is based off of a South Korean dessert called a Dalgona. <laughs> I had to look it up. Did you just say whisked into a, a whisp- frothy, a frothy wispiness? A, froth, a frothy wispiness. <laughs> uh, okay. But did you check the pronunciation while you were at it? Uh, no, because no. Wikipedia didn't quite give me. But I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Dalgona. I've heard Dalgona. several people say it. Okay. Um, so Dalgona. But it's, I'm definitely checking that out. Yeah, I didn't like it, but hey, you know. Then, why didn't you like it? Um, I don't know. It wasn't quite coffee to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it had it had the flavor of coffee? It, it, it wasn't bad. I didn't not like it. Yeah, I liked it, but not enough that I was that, I, that I'd make it again. Perfect. Per, here's a perfect example. So here's the question: Cafe Ole, is it a coffee drink or a milk drink? Is it a coffee flavored milk or a milk flavored coffee? Because it's it's essentially half and half. It's yeah. it's coffee and it's milk, and yeah. it's not, it's not milk, like creamer. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Cafe Ole. Yeah. I think you know, I. That's uh, that's one of those French things that I, that I really like. It probably but, depends on where you go. If you go in France, uh, France is probably coffee with milk flavoring. Here in the States, it's probably milk with coffee flavoring. Right. And can I put sweet and low in it? That's the... <laughs> well in France. No, no. <laughs> uh, you were talking about uh, South Korea, you know, the Dalgona. Here's an interesting thing. So kimchi, mm-hmm. I love kimchi. Um, I didn't always love kimchi. The first time I had, I had a, an experience that was similar to a lot of people, a lot of Americans, um, you know, uh, experience with kimchi was that I had a buddy at work at the job where I worked that uh, he had a friend at Ford whose wife was Korean that made fresh kimchi. Now I'm talking fresh, authentic kimchi. She made this shit and then she buried it in the backyard. And it was there for three, oh yeah. Yeah. And it fermented for three months under the ground. And then dug it up, put it in the jar and go to town. And and he would go, he would have to go over to Ford for what, you know, whatever he was doing there. And then his buddy would be like, oh, hey, I got some fresh kimchi. And he brought that shit back into our office. I'm tapping now. Um, (laughs) Brought that back into our office and opened it up. Now, and we're not talking about like in a big old cafeteria. No, at his desk, 
where there are cubicles and then the smell smell that everywhere oh yeah. my god i thought i was gonna lose it i was about ready to go complain to the manager can you please tell him to get that crap out of here right and that was my first experience and it was years later that when i mean i've always been you know i was talking earlier about being a historian my my area of expertise is asia specifically um mongolia and china um but the Korean history, uh, there's a lot of tie-ins with Mongolian history between Mo Mongolia and Korea. And, um, and so I got more interested in pop culture of Korea and then realized, oh, well, maybe I should try kimchi again. You know, maybe I should be a little bit more open-minded. And, and I found some kimchi that wasn't, it wasn't like the authentic berry in the backyard. It was, you know, uh, put together specifically for um, mass consumption. You mm -hmm. go in and buy it in the store, it's in a jar. Yeah. And that stuff doesn't have that same smell to it. Yeah. Now, there'd be some people that say, well, they're just not real kimchi. But I, what I'm saying is, it's a gateway. It, you know, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely agree with that one. There is, um, is a thing that some of those foods, especially ones that are like, I, like I make my own sauerkraut. I, oh. love, I, I love sauerkraut. I make my own, my own sauerkraut. It is, if you have the time, because that's all that's required. There's no skill. There's no, there's not a lot of work. It's salt and cabbage. <laughs> and it just takes time. And it is far superior to the stuff that you buy in the, uh, right. in, in, in the store. Um, but if you let it go too long, it starts getting funky, <laughs> you know. Um, now, if you like that, that's great. I don't like that. Right. I like it when it's sort of on the edge of funky. Right. Well, you know, but that's kind of where once I realized that okay, I can make I can make kimchi, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be like that. I can do it a different way. I need to make kimchi. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, there for a while I was making kimchi like at least once a quarter, you know. I, I, I remember that. Because my, my wife loves kimchi yeah. as well. And um, so I, you know, I make kimchi. I even came up with that special, what I call it, SNSD kimchi, because there were nine ingredients based on the nine gals of uh, Shinoshidai, uh, yeah. Girls' Generation. <laughs> There's a whole pop culture area to explore <laughs> right there, K pop. But uh, so I would make it and then I would ferment it. I would let fermentation, the, the natural cabbage ferment, fermentation process happen on the tabletop over the course of like three days. Yeah. I would keep it out for max three days. And then once, once that cabbage has released enough of those amino acids for that fermentation. And by the way, people, here's a real big benefit of kimchi. It's really, really good for your gut because it's it's got that good bacteria. Um, but then once I hit that three day mark, then I jar it up, put it in the refrigerator, and eat that. And it's like I love this stuff, yeah. you know. Especially if I can make a spicy because I love the spicy foods. So you know, there's one of those things where I mean, you're talking about a food that's been around for what a couple thousand years, probably. probably. I mean, cabbage has been around forever. Uh, in different right. types all across the world, um, and then you know, kimchi is, is a way to eat and preserve cabbage, um, just like sauerkraut. Which I mean, um, don't quote me on this one, but it's probably a way to start. 
the preservation of keeping cabbage past its um, due date, right. so to speak. But then again, I've seen I've seen a lot of comments about the fact that vegetables don't go bad. They they don't they 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 ferment, they they break down, but you know, it's not going to kill you. It, no, it, you um, know, if if it gets a little, I mean, it's it's got to be like really really bad, really rotten, really like falling apart. Right. I I think rotten is a lot more different than something going bad. Like milk goes bad. It, it, right. You know, you can still drink bad milk. It's not going to make you sick. Um, well. The drinking of the milk might make you sick, but the milk itself isn't going to make you sick. Right. Um, but, I mean, unless it rots, you're right. Vegetables don't really go bad. They can, they can keep, they can dry out. You can store them in a, in a root cellar. Right. Um, you know, and keep them for a long time. And it, let's, let's kind of round out here as, 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 we, as we head towards the, the finish line on this. Let's talk about there's... I think there's a debate. Um, I think there, there's more of a debate now than there has been about is American culture. Is there an American culture? Well, yeah, there, there, there is an American culture. There's, you know, there's a lot of um, what's more American than apple pie, you know, uh, basketball uh, right here. Uh, Baseball, uh, American pastime, right. which is now more popular in other countries. Right. But, but there's a lot of food. I mean, you know, there's a lot of food that we have adapted. Um, they have in, in, uh, in Germany um, schnitzel, schnitzel, which for me was a sheer delight to learn how to actually. There, <laughs> pardon the euphemism, but there is nothing more fun than pounding your pork. <laughs> pounding your pork or chicken or veal. Or, yes. Yeah, but pork, a lot of it's pork, you, yes. You get, you get a nice thin uh, cut, right? You know, and you just pound the shit out of that. Yeah, you know? it's nice. Wash it, wash it, flake it, wash it, flake it, fry it. Like we said before, you fry anything and that just adds. Yeah, <laughs> right? But then, now look, look, look at the American South. Um, well, not all, not all parts of America South, but it, it, I'd say it's a popular dish in America South, and it's a hugely popular dish in the state of Indiana, and that's pork, pork fritters. Yeah, yeah. pork tenderloin sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it is. It's essentially schnitzel. It's a schnitzel, yeah. It's American schnitzel. So we we took that and said, hey, you know what? We can do that. Put it on a sandwich. Well, right. We're gonna we're gonna put that. We're gonna make it round, and we're yeah. gonna have. We're gonna bread that thing. That's an American thing, right there. And then, <laughs> and we're gonna put some mayo or mustard. I like mustard myself, but we're gonna put some mayo and mustard and put that on a big old fat white bun. And uh, you know, yeah, that's yeah. That is a sandwich you cannot find <laughs> in the state or in the city very often. I only know two places in South. But where? With uh, Czech's Cafe. Um, okay. In uh, I don't remember the other one. Hmm. So. I take it back. I can only think of one. All right. Well, there, there was another place uh, here, in, even in Louisville, that actually um, is a franchise that started in Indiana. Now, the thing is, I don't know if they're still open because they moved away from that neighborhood. And um, they, I, I don't know if the pandemic took them out because there were so many, um, you know, restaurants that got taken out. They had they had drive through So uh, most drive through places survived. So hopefully they did. But a uh, penguin uh, something. Penguin, 
penguin palace dome. It's not, I mean, I can't remember the name of it, but I know that the word penguin, the, yeah, there was one over on, uh, uh, for those in, in, in Louisville who are out there, if you go down South Side Drive, um, that's where it was. So I don't know if it's still there or not, but, you know, but I don't, I don't know if pork tenderloin is, you know, if that's a big thing. Joe's. Joe's older than dirt had one. Joe's older than dirt. They had a pork tenderloin sandwich. Well, so certainly if any of our listeners are from Louisville, Kentucky, we'll, we'll uh, fill you in on some, some great places around town for whatever pop culture we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, I think we're, uh, we're reaching that point where we're, uh, we're, I think, I think we've, we've said what we wanted to say. There's definitely, you know, well, I mean, there, there is, of course, with all topics, there's a lot more that we could say. There is. But, uh, you know, but, time is a factor here. And there will be a, a food episode, a, a, the food episode, number two. <laughs> Maybe yeah. something a little bit more specific. Yeah, and of course, but, as, as Wolf said, if there's something that you wish that we could talk more on, we would be glad to. And, of course, uh, maybe do a little bit more research this time. So oh, yeah. I'm not just making it up as I go along. <laughs> making it up? You wouldn't do that, would you? Never. 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 <laughs> the stories we tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Parker, for uh, helping along on this today. Uh, Parker uh, uh, will be the uh, co-host most of the time. We are going to bring in some guests, like I said, here in the future on some uh, some stuff. And uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode of uh, Food. Um we thank you, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have you again for uh, the next episode of High Culture with Low Friends. I've been Wolf Holloman. And I've been Parker Black. And we'll see you later. You've been listening to High Culture with Low Friends featuring Wolf Holloman and me, Parker Black. Please consider subscribing so you don't miss a moment.